Hello, welcome to Love Food, Hate Money, a show where we talk about food and we'll approve it by not having any money left over. My name is Jonah. I'm going to be one of your hosts, and this is going to be co-host Courtney. Hey. And let's jump into our drink. This evening you have prepared for us <laughs> a lovely chai, chai tea. Yeah, it's chai, chai, right? chai. chai, chai, <laughs> tea, tea, tea. Talk about my TT lattes. Uh, yeah, it's it's not real chai. It's just a, a chai bag. It's a private selection. It's very fancy. Very and private. I put a little honey and a little half and half or heavy cream. I don't remember which that we had in the fridge left over from, I think, pasta. Um, because we're recording this at 9... Eight, <laughs> 9... 9-14-2022, <laughs> I think is maybe what you're going for. I was looking at the date and not the time. Yeah. It's, it's 12.20 a.m. Um, literally, that's working out really good for me. I mean, so far, so good. You knew what month it was. <laughs> it tastes like TT. <laughs> I love your TT and my latte. Oh my god. Um, yeah, no, this is like a, a comfort drink. Like I should definitely take the time to make like a chai concentrate and like grind the spices and all that. But like for sake of ease and just having something warm and delicious. Uh, also, we just typically have tea around. We might let it tea bags. <laughs> <laughs> Not as many, not as many as I would like. That's, <laughs> no, that's, um, but yeah, I, we should probably invest in some loose leaf in some good loose leaf. There's a lot of places that carry around good loose leaf, mm-hmm. uh, here in Metro Phoenix. And we just don't take the time. I think tea is probably one of the few beverages where we've been the laziest. Yes, definitely. That being said, we are drinking Kroger brand Folgers coffee on a daily basis right now, about a gallon of it. So, like, <laughs> laziness is the name of the game at this stage of our drinking lives. We've had a rough month and a half. Um, so, we've definitely resorted to um, survival <laughs> mode and we being pres- cheap. I like how you're like, ah, uh, yeah, we've resorted to drinking our problems away, but it's like Folgers coffee it's, yeah, and it's, not a bottle of whiskey. It's like embarrassingly cheap. Four ounces of whiskey as a pour. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. Um, we're trying a new uh, setup today for recording. We're sitting next to each other because John said that would be better. And it feels like we're like sitting in the car talking, but we're staring at a, a wall. Yeah, that's also what it feels like while I'm driving. That's a <laughs> shock we haven't passed away. Do you like this setup so far? So far, so good. I like not being able to make eye contact with you. I think that is really what sets it over the edge. Well, I think studies show, right, that like men like doing stuff sitting next to each other more so than um, sitting across from each other. So actually, you should find this more enjoyable overall. That's kind of what that study showed it shows that they're i know what you're talking about they talked about how doing things side by side well specifically like sporting events and stuff like that is what they're referring to where you're like you're watching something together Mm -hmm. so you're in this case we're watching the wall together which is just are you not entertained you want to look for clouds or like we have a what is it it's like a stucco brick wall nightmare 
thing. Which is, I mean, it, it's also 100% concrete, which keeps out our neighbor sounds, which is fantastic in an apartment. Did you ever look at like popcorn ceilings and stucco walls as a kid and make shapes out of it like clouds because you never went outside? That's what, that's what I did. <laughs> um, no, I didn't grow up poor. Must be nice. <laughs> Must be nice. Uh, now that we're living here, though, I have so many opportunities. So many opportunities to be a poor girl staring at the wall, making uh, shapes with her mind. Anywho, what are we talking about today? Walls. <laughs> it's just the this is the wall episode. No. Your is our watch ending. We don't have to worry about the wall anymore. That show's back. That's crazy. <laughs> It's not the only show that's back. Oh, that's ooh, nice. Good job getting Segway. the train back on the station. That's how <laughs> trains work. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Chef's Table is back. And they're back with pizza. Pizza episodes. I love Chef's Table. Like, genuinely, that is one of my favorite food shows. Yeah, it's got really good production value into it. Like, it's just beautiful to watch. It's so artsy and like they clearly spent a ton of time editing and getting tons of really beautiful shots and then finding a way to really tell a story in a very short amount of time because generally what they're trying to do is tell a chef's life story and then also like walk through the food that they make. And I think those episodes are what, 55 minutes, an hour? Yeah, they're all about an hour. Which is, it's a lot of information to pack in, um, but I think they do such a beautiful job. Yeah, I think we'll talk about this more as this evolves, because the uh, ep- the pizza episode is near and dear to our hearts, um, because it featured probably the most famous chef coming out of Arizona. I would, like, have Oh, yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, he's, world like, world famous. Um, and... Yeah, so I guess we can just sort of talk about it. Mr. Chris Bianco um, of the Bianco Empire. Because I, I would say Pizzeria Bianco, but he's got Trotto and Payne Bianco and Pizzeria Bianco again and then Pizzeria Bianco LA again. <laughs> <laughs> that just opened up. I think that was uh, good timing for him to have the entire Netflix special shot and then. Oh, yeah. L.A. But L.A. I, E.L.A. You haven't had a pizzeria Bianco pizza in. Had a pizzeria Bianco pizza in L.A. Uh, yeah, I think the timing of that's really cool. I think hearing his story made his choices uh, of when and where he opened restaurants make so much more sense. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah, very. I mean, he's been in the national news for as long as before we were born alive. So the fact that he has a collective like five and a half restaurant concepts at this point shows that he's been very methodical with how he has done things. And then watching the the special was interesting because it showed that part of that was because he felt like he needed to be the one making the pizzas. And then his growth as a person of learning how to delegate and be hands off and, get told that if you keep doing this, you're going to (laughs) die. Yeah, that was so crazy. Um, I don't feel like you hear about Baker's Lung very often. Um, No, I vaguely remember them referencing, like, Chef Brooks. I remember Chef Brooks. (laughs) Like, once. And I was like, that sounds unfortunate. It's probably because he had it. 
I he was you know, if you can have bakers London be that bakers are crazy. They're oh so, my god the strongest people in the kitchen nine times out of ten, I feel like. If you're like a true like bread baker that's slinging around fifty pound bags of flour and just like kneading fifty pound batches of dough by hand and you're like, Oh yeah, look at it's just my forearm and it's just a <laughs> tree trunk white oak. Just <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think that's so crazy. One of the things that they really highlighted in his special was they talked about him having asthma. And at first, in the beginning of the episode, I feel like you and I kind of were like, how does this relate to pizza? Here's, here's the thing. I I didn't care about it relating to pizza so much. It's just... Uh, you don't think of asthma as a big deal these days. Uh, that too. Um, because we have inhalers and everything now. Yeah. I thought about it in the context of he had asthma as a kid in New York and he was like, you know where I'm going to move Metro Phoenix. And I just think that's the funniest choice. Like he picked uh, currently Maricopa County has the worst air quality in the entire country. So for him to be an asthmatic that was afraid of death and then being like, you know what? This desert seems appropriate where I'm speaking for myself allergies are wild here like there's i my dad even almost died as a kid because he was asthmatic in arizona like that like this was the probably the worst place he could have moved to with asthma in mind but he made it work <laughs> well and i would imagine too like the air quality you know it's only getting better 28 folks. years ago global warming was... isn't real <laughs> oh god <laughs> um it was probably better back then but it is a funny thing when you think about um, the allergies, especially. I know that's a big thing for you. And um, so many people, the air quality, like there's literally a. There's too many every, plants that don't want us here. The plants don't want us here. The sun doesn't want us here. The water doesn't want us here. It doesn't <laughs> want to be here. Like it's a. It's it. It is interesting, like watching the episode um, of chef's table is interesting because Arizona is very agricultural, like Mm -hmm. hundreds of years of history of the, uh, uh, native communities farming and irrigating. And the Metro Phoenix area is built around hundreds of years of irrigation systems that were here before any of us white folks settled it. And they were just like, Oh, look, trenches are already dug out. That's cool. We'll just take that. Thanks. Thanks so much for your work. We'll we'll take over. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> it's it, it, like yes, the desert grows plenty of things. I think that's something that we've talked to. Even when we've talked to, I not remember if we talked about it on the episode with Drew. But when we talked to Drew before, um, like he was and still is like mind blown by the amount of agricultural like diversity that we have in Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. And we grow a majority of the lettuce. <laughs> All the lettuce. Like, and, and distribute it to other parts of the country, which is, you know, you don't picture a saguaro cactus and then a majority of the iceberg lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a romaine that gets talked about a lot from Arizona, especially from, iceberg for some reason. Uh, from Yuma, because every once in a while there'll be an E. coli outbreak. And then if you check the back of your salad bag and it's grown... And Yuma, then you probably need to toss it. But most of the time, most of the time it's good. <laughs> I think one of the things that really stood out to me about this episode about Chris um, was that he 
was born and raised in New York and he dropped out of high school and then felt like there was no opportunity for him in New York. And I think that's so interesting because that's the exact opposite of what the rest of us are told our whole lives. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like everybody has heard, you know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Like, New York is where dreams come true. And so this idea of growing up there and being like, this is, nope, this is not where um, I'm going to, you know, stake my claim. I think that's a, such an interesting experience and such a different experience. I really appreciated um, kind of like hearing that outlook because I don't think you hear that very often. Yeah, I think that that might be something that's true. Where you grow up? Anywhere you grow up. I mean, even to, you know, talk back to about about us growing up in the church, like Jesus got laughed out of town when he tried to do any sort of Jesus work where he grew up. So like there's something to be said for you can't, you, there's a certain amount of growth that you can do where you're from. Yeah. And I feel like he talked about it in the episode where you said that, you know, you see the same people every day. You're in your same village. You see the same faces over and over again. And I imagine for him, like, that was a feeling of like, yeah, I'm literally trapped here. Yeah. There's a million people and I see the same 50 every day and I, I'm not going to be able to do anything here. So let's just, he never really explained why Arizona, did he? No, it was kind of like it sounded like he threw a dartboard at a map and was like, "Yeah, let's let's go try that." At a map? That's <laughs> it's twelve thirty one a.m. Um, when you throw the dartboard at the map, how do you decide? Is it like where the bullseye Honestly, of the dartboard it's, is? Is it's wherever the hole in the wall is now, and then you hold the map up to the hole in the wall. And that's where you go. Mm-hmm. That makes that makes sense. I'm so I, stupid. I I like this new technique for darts. <laughs> Most of us thinkers think throw the dart. No, at no, darts we gotta move on. We can't stop. No, okay. We can't stop. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he. It was it was cool that he he settled here, and it's funny because. Um, I, we, we knew that the episode was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd known about it for a little while because we had toured one of the farms that he visited. Um, yeah, we had like behind the scenes insider knowledge. Yeah, we knew it was happening. It was spooky. Um, and so we met the, met the farmer and he, he mentioned that, oh, yeah, I can't wait to be on Netflix. Like, that's exciting because <laughs> his, his son is a world-renowned, like, EDM producer, which is hilarious. So crazy because, um, the I mean, it's a goat farm. Like, it's yeah. it's Crow's Dairy. Um, Mr. Wendell. Wendell is one of the, like, I don't even have words for him. Like, that man's such a character. <laughs> yeah. The industry, and if we've not said it before... Uh, we'll say it now and I'll, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Every facet of the industry, people are just described as characters. Like you don't do food yeah. and beverage and that stuff without being a character. Um, and I feel like that's something like in my, when I was doing desk work, like 
there weren't any characters no. except for the my, my one supervisor that led a fake life and i i that was a separate <laughs> issue but like you don't meet like true characters of people like you everyone's like oh yeah you're a normal person food and beverage industry you're meeting like people that are like oh i've you i thought you were just a book character i didn't realize that there were actual humans that made choices that you make that's crazy it's because these people they find their home amongst themselves and they're like this is where i go now um and wendell's home is with the goats this is real and this is me. <laughs> i'm exactly who i'm supposed to be i think the the real the thing that made me so happy is we got to be in the milky room that they show in the show and they, um, he shot milk at yeah. our coworkers yeah. the same way that he shot milk at Chris. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to talk about. Just the way that he is, even in the very short amount of time he was shown in, um, Jeff's table was just accurate. And I, I so appreciated that. He was there for 90 seconds. And I want to go back to the fact that you, you mentioned chef's tables episodes are so beautiful and well edited <laughs> the amount of editing that had to go into that because wendell is a wild card so he i love that guy he's had to, great the b-roll that they have for his <laughs> his two minutes of chef's table has to be incredible like chris has sort of scattered thoughts when he's talking you can tell he's thinking about 15 other things and which i feel like gets talking to a chef yeah, they're always either always- 15 steps in a different building. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when, oh man, what some of the stories that Wendell would tell specifically about like goats peeing on each other, like that was. That was great. I, if you ever get a chance to take a tour out at Crow's Dairy, you, that is an opportunity you cannot pass up. Highly recommended, especially if you like hearing weird things about goats. So many goat facts. And also, the cheese he produces is just excellent. Yeah. It was so good. And so it was really exciting to see him represented also in this episode. And then they took a trip down to um, a farm I wasn't familiar with called Oatman Farms. Yeah, that's uh, one that I've not heard too much of here. I'm sure we'll hear more and more about them now. But them just talking about the grain that they're growing and the wheat that they're producing mm-hmm. for Bianco and specifically... Um, they talked about how at one point Arizona was producing a lot of the the flour that was being used in Italy. And just these little things that you don't think about, um, especially having lived here most of our lives, you or your whole life. Yeah. Um, Born and raised, baby. Just how much abundance there is here um, and like how much there is available to us locally. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of made me take a step back and go like man, like we could get some really cool stuff if I just did a little more research. Yeah, and spent a little bit more money. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> I wonder how it works for humans. Because I know when you like buy dogs better food, the people that are peddling the food are like, oh, you can feed them less though because it's more nutrient dense. I wonder how that works for <laughs> human feed. I do think that it is nutrition, but. <laughs> think it, do you think it translates? <laughs> Uh, we'll get our dietitian friend Hannah on the show and we will confirm that. If I spend an extra, if I spend twice as much on the lettuce, <laughs> do I get to eat half as much of the lettuce and still feel <laughs> kosher? Cause that's, that's really all we're looking for. It's just to not be hangry. You know, that is the hard part when like you can get a five pound bag of flour for like three spicy potato tacos. And then you've got like your local little like 
eight ounce box of flour. This is my special Hayden Mills flour. And that's it like costs what? 15 spicy potato tacos. <laughs> I think it's not quite that much, but it is definitely a big it's a chunk. Jump. Um, so I thought really focusing on um, the local purveyors and the local farmers was really neat. And we even kind of previewed the next episode in the series. And um, that chef, his whole thing was like, pizza is just a means to an end. Like, it's really, it's all about the agriculture. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a cool mindset. Yeah, I was, it's a, I think it's a very, if you talk about quote, unquote, chef-driven restaurants, like that's really the, like, oh, we're just showcasing farmers. Yeah. Watching any videos on, like, if you watch the Eater video on single thread, half the thing is like them talking about their farm um, and the importance of the ingredients themselves. I thought it was cool, though, because uh, and it's... For context, I, the first time I ate Pizzeria Bianco was about six years ago. It would have been longer than that. It was, was before, before we were together. Hmm. We've been together for nine years. I ate at Pizzeria Bianco a decade ago. <laughs> um, and I remember just being like not overwhelmed by it. Like I was like, yeah, it tastes like pizza. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and not quite sure what the whole hubbub was about. Especially, like, the origins, because I heard stories, and they even knew that, like, yeah, you could sometimes wait up to three hours for pizza. I never really quite understood it. Um, I hadn't gone back for a decade, and you went for the first time, because... Yeah, I went for the first time last week. The day before the the episode's released, because as a, a fun little impromptu date, I was like, yeah, this episode's releasing tomorrow, like, let's just go... On a random Tuesday, I highly doubt you need a reservation. It's a Tuesday in the middle of an Arizona summer. So, yep. when, and we were like one of three people in there, <laughs> which is crazy to see the progression. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but the fact that people used to wait, according to the episode, they'd wait in line for seven hours before the restaurant opened just to get pizza. And now you could walk in at any old Tuesday and just have it, I think is sort of a blessing. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a privilege to be able to just walk in and have it. Um, and I think it was also really interesting having it because I we talked about this in the San Diego episodes, but we went to Tribute Pizza in San Diego, mm-hmm. which was dedicated pretty much to Chris. And um, they had two pizzas on his their menu that were inspired by him. So we had the wise guy out there. And then coming back and actually going and having the original wise guy mm-hmm. um, was really a neat experience. And it, yeah, it was fun to see the origins. Yeah. And it, it, I think something that they talked about in the episode, which when I went there a decade ago, I had no context of. I mean, I was what, a 16 year old kid, 16, 17? Yeah. Um, they talked about him being a pioneer at the time. Mm-hmm. And then, but seeing it in the episode, I think was really interesting because of the timeline because Pizzeria Bianca has been open since ni- I think 1994 is when he came back to Arizona and opened we'll the say standalone. the mid-90s. Yeah. Um, the the chef, the quote-unquote chef-driven restaurant where you're talking about ingredients is the focal point. He pioneered that for pizza. Yeah. Um, it's not for like cuisine in general at the time. Yeah. I was, I mean, you're talking... Out waters is the 80s so there's i would say that that's like a true pioneer but the actual like yeah but his thing was more like she definitely alice waters brought a lot of like the farm to table aspect but his thing was more like 
I'm not changing the pizza. I'm going out and I'm finding the best flour, the best tomatoes, mm-hmm. the best cheese. And I'm putting that together. And at the time, like that didn't mean it was all like it grown in his neighborhood. It was like, I'm going to find the best and we're going to use the best. Yeah. Making oh no, your own mozzarella. Yeah. Getting the best tomatoes that you can, like m- making the ingredients, the actual focal point, which like I, when I ate there originally, like that really didn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I didn't know about it one. And then two, like didn't really think about the timeline of like, no, he like truly pioneered this style in the United States. I would say in general, like if you're talking about Neapolitan pizza, like there's protected, like you have to use specific cheese, X, Y, Z, like that's been established for longer, but certain standards. Yeah. Yeah. Those, this, the standards, the ingredient standards have existed, but he pioneered it in the United States. And now you can't like, there's a, a restaurant that does that in every state. I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. And he really was the one that started it. And like if 94 really is the year, like before we were born. And yeah. I think that's like a really pivotal, like he changed the world as we know it. Like can't imagine a world without ingredient driven pizzas or any like the I, cuisine. I worked, yeah, yeah. Cuisine or like, yeah, I'm going to make the same thing, but I'm just going to make it with better stuff. Like that's something that is like, yeah, that's a pretty normal thing, but it wasn't at that time, which is pretty cool to think about. Yeah, totally. I think also we have to mention that the table that they show in like the opening, um, like the pre-roll of the episode in the restaurant is the exact table we sat at. When we ate there last week, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a funny coincidence. <laughs> we're just like, hey, look, we were, we were literally right there. That's that's fun. We sat right there. I think there's also something so special to hear about someone's personal journey as far as when they had to learn to step back and let other people take control. Because I think as chefs or even just as people who are creative, letting someone else touch your project, touch your you know, your life's goals um, can be really hard and seeing kind of how he had to navigate that with health issues, like to me meant a lot um, Mm -hmm. to watch as somebody who has chronic health issues. Um, And I really hope that eventually we could get him on the show because I would love to talk about that more and how he was able to deal with that mentally and that whole refocus and having to shift into like, okay, I have to take a step back and I have my family and I have you know, all these other things that matter to me um, while still pursuing really perfection. Like he very much comes across as someone who is like, I want to keep getting better. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think especially it's got to be hard mentally, but it's also re- it's interesting because in the in the chef's world, uh, the people that we know, there's like if you present them with the choice of like give me cooking or give me death like like that is truly what he was presented with and then like had to make that choice yeah and i think it also says a lot about his character that he was driven at you know around that same time to open trotto and have a restaurant that didn't have his name on it so that he could put other people in the driver's seat and really nurture um other up-and-coming chefs um i think we're gonna have potentially have one of them on our show (laughs) Um, if we can uh, get her in here 
I love that mentality too of I have done, so let me now educate and let me bring up the next group. And I think really because our experience is only to Arizona, like we see that a lot in our industry. There's a lot of different organizations um, like CCAP and Blue Watermelon that are doing a lot for the next generation and helping them kind of figure out what their path is going to be in a much nicer, gentler way <laughs> yeah. than what existed before for growing up in restaurants. Yeah, especially well, it's it, it's showing. I don't know. It's almost showing like a more old world style of like, yeah, this is just like this is cooking. This is food. This is community. Like it is showing it it. Uh, capitalist hellscape where (laughs) you're raised by a school system and you're sort of fast slop by a by a lunch by somebody who hates their job person that is miserable like you're it's a different environment than like oh yeah my grandma taught me this family recipe and like we have family dinner every Sunday like that exists in the united states but if you at least for myself if i picture like a standard like u.s family it's yep both parents are working child is taken care of as best as they can. They eventually get taken care of by the school system. And like, that's, it's very like, let's go, go, go. So to have the different programs in place that are this stop and smell the roses and actually like live a life is encouraging. Yeah. And more of a holistic approach um, and more educational than, you know, your run of the mill home at class. It's like, you just take this cause you need a elective credit kind of deal. Yeah. We didn't actually talk about the food at pizza Ray Bianco. Um, being an adult now, instead of a child, when I, ate there, <laughs> I liked it more. I'll oh, are you, that. are you mature now? Yeah. I'm mature and sophisticated. Are you like a little, I'm bo- a wise guy. <laughs> oh. uh, are you like a little bottle of wine? You just needed to like sit and mature. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so, we overordered, as we always do. Yes. Um, and the th- you know the thing that was like most memorable memorable to me were um, the first courses that we ordered, and it's not because the pizza wasn't excellent; like, it definitely was. But I was so surprised. I will say whoever was working oven that day a little crispy. You can calm down. <laughs> um. I wasn't expecting to be blown away by the first course, not because like I didn't have high expectations for the restaurant, but like a lot of times like portions and prices don't line up. And this is not that restaurant. Yeah, I would say it was pretty like the value was really there. Um, We did their Caprese. No, it wasn't a Caprese. (laughs) It It was mozzarella. What would what would you call it? I think they called it um, like a mozzarella salad. I don't think they called it caprese because I think caprese has to have balsamic to be considered. Oh, caprese! Um, the caprese police are going to come out and <laughs> arrest me. Everyone, watch out! Uh, you can fact check me on that. I could be wrong, but it was like thick boy mozzarellas. It was delicious, beautiful, unctuous mozzarella with tomato and really high-end olive oil and torn basil. It was tasty olive oil. I wouldn't go so far. It, we don't know it, if it was actually high-end. It high tasted, end. I've also had, tasted great. Great. So I would assume that it is at least a good olive oil. It was at least good olive oil. <laughs> Based on everything we've said so far, I have to assume that 
you know, when they're picking all their ingredients, there's some care involved. Um, and then we did. Also, can we just this whole thing is really funny because like it we're so close to just quoting the Papa John's slogan over and over again. <laughs> better ingredients. Better pizza. Pizza Papa John's. Bianco. Oh. TM. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Papa John's. Yeah, you're please out. Don't, please don't sue me, Pop Pop John. Um, and then we did the antipasto. Yeah, it was an antipasto. It was a, their antipasti was Grilled veg. veg. Lots of grilled veg. So wood, good. Or, well, not technically grilled. It was wood fire, yeah. Uh, wood fired veg. Couple little olives. Can't remember what varietal. Um, some hard cheeses. Hard, hard cheese. Yep. Yeah. And then some, some salami. Uh, oh, what are the? It was a specific type of salami though. It wasn't. It wasn't gabagool. It was um. <laughs> was it sopressata. I think it was sopressata. I was honestly, I could go back and just have that for dinner, like as my entree. It was so good because they also did delicious. bread service that they made in house. And so you're like the bread and the roasted vegetables and the meat and the cheese. Like that is honestly such an underrated good meal. meal. It was very tasty. One good with my bottled Coke. <laughs> and then we did the wise guy pizza. The wise guy and the Rosa, the two of them that he's probably the most well known for. Yeah. And I thought listening to them. Uh, or listening to him describe the Rosa during the episode kind of made it come together for me because I enjoyed it. But then hearing like the inspiration behind it, I was like, oh, wait, like that totally makes sense. Like it's locally grown pistachios. It's rosemary, which grows literally everywhere, everywhere here. Phoenix. Like it's a super great ornamental plant because it grows like weed. Um, and then red onions that grow here and just this idea of it's almost like deserty and has that like bright earthiness and herbaceousness. Tastes um, like desert shrub. Yeah. I thought that was so cool and it was really delicious. And then the wise guy, of course, was um, onions and sausage, which you can't go wrong with that combination. Yep. Again, the we had the wise guy, the tributes wise guy, and like their onions a lot. And I'm pretty sure I had the wise guy when I had it ten years ago. Did not remember the onions being the big old rings, but they it was that so is what good. it was, and it was a delicious, delicious preparation of it. And then we finished that. Oh, the flourless chocolate cake. Yeah, that was uh they sourced they bring it in from Trotto, um, which is one delicious. of the other restaurants. Um, that. I don't know if chocolate cake is the right word to describe well, it, whatever the hell they want to call it. It's called a flourless chocolate cake, and that's usually the texture of it. It's more like a fudgy. It was just like brownie, good fudge, goodness. good brownie. And um, then like with a soft, with like a shaken vanilla cream. Yeah, it was it was like heavy cream that they threw into a cocktail tin and just like let it go for, I don't know, 30 seconds. It was very, very, they called it an unglaze, but I think, but it was very light. It was um, delicious. And it just tasted like sweet cream, which was pretty nice instead of like having like really overpowering vanilla bean. Like it, it was just the cream and it was very good. And I that think- with some real high octane tasting espresso, which when I say that, it's like it's it, Mambo mm, Italiano. Hey, Mambo. Um, <laughs> it, it's fine. People are going to enjoy it. Like, but I, it. They paired well, though. It, it went worked. well with dessert, so it was <laughs> fine on its own. I it was I, I could feel my eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think all that to say, like, if you get a chance and you're interested in learning something, especially if you're out here in Arizona, about um, local food, local agriculture, um, 
really a local pioneer chef. Like you've got to watch this episode of Chef's Table. And if you get the opportunity either here or out in LA, go check out Pizzeria Bianco. Like it was a really great experience. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was watching the special, the educational, like it, I didn't know that, like I knew we had nut farms in Arizona. I didn't realize pistachios were grown so much in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, it was really educational. His story is interesting. Um, he's, uh, he, <laughs> he's a character. We're all characters here. True. You hear that? It's the Caprici police. <laughs> is that, are they they're related to the Gazpacho police? They are related. They're, <laughs> it's like one's the FBI of the food world. <laughs> I think that would probably be the gazpacho police for the federal food crimes. Oh, yes. Uh, the, the Food Bureau of Investigation. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we got to run because this is the 1920s. And if we run fast enough, we can get away with the crime. They don't know about fingerprints. Thank you for listening to Love, Food, Hate, Money. This episode and every episode is edited by John Watkins of Feather Fiction Studios. Um, you heard his lovely voice last week, and he also produces our music. Um, hit him up. Tell him he's beautiful. He really likes that. Um, we have merch still, and we have new merch that I just ordered first proofs of it. I'm so excited. Um, wiener merch, people. It's it's wieners, and you're going to love it. Um, Patreon, we're going to get the new merch up. We're going to get the Patreon going. I promise you I'm going to figure out how to work that freaking website. It's a lot. <laughs> and if you have ideas of things that you want to see from us, let us know. I... It really means a lot to me that we create value with this, and especially once we start asking you for money um, as a communist podcast. As a communist podcast. Um, and making sure that it's it's something that you want and not just something that you pay for because Can we you want to still be friends. Food comrades? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're either a food comrade or you're a caprese police. The food comrades and the caprese police. Oh, God. Yeah, and connect with us on social media. We're there. We but remember, Jonah hasn't received any hate mail yet. We're waiting. If I don't get hate mail, I'll wither away. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. I made a mess. <laughs> <laughs>